you may have heard me say that I am not a gift guy, which annoys my wife to no end. Because it's hard to give a gift to somebody that just doesn't matter a ton. So because of that, I don't really remember a lot of gifts that I've been given at Christmas. But there's one Christmas gift I remember very sharply, very clearly. Uh, we live, let's see, I was probably upper middle school. There were nine kids in my family. And so when you're in a, at this point, there were nine kids. And so when there's that many people, like gift exchange and unwrapping gifts takes a really long time so that mom can keep track of who got what from whom. So we would always sit on Christmas Eve and we would have a pile of presents in front of us and one at a time we would go in a circle and open gifts. Maybe your families are similar. I know there are some other big families here. And so when, you, when that happens, it takes like 30 minutes in between gifts that you open. And so you've got to select a really good one each time it comes time to unwrap a present. And I remember that year I was like so excited and puzzled by the shape of one of the gifts. And so it comes my turn for the first present to unwrap. And I've been puzzling for a couple weeks over, what could be that shape? This must be something really cool. And my parents are like, please don't open that. And of course, I have to open it because they're like, no, don't open that one first. And so I, I open it, and it's a specialty battery for something I have no idea what it's going to be. And it's going to be 30 more minutes before I figure out what I actually, this battery is going to go to. And it was just this, I remember sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know, eighth grade, and going, world could this be? And why in the world did I not take my parents' advice and open this one, this battery pack for what turned out to be a motorcycle I could never really run very well because I just that didn't have that skill set. So I remember that, that gift, that, that battery that was so disappointing because often, and I mentioned this to somebody earlier, oftentimes Christmas feels like that gift that's like, oh, the battery. Oh, okay. I get to Christmas and it's just this, honestly, the saddest day of the Christmas season is Christmas Day because it's like, oh, the season that I love is now over. I'm supposed to go back to normal life now without the Christmas songs and without the decorations. And we just kind of leave Christmas and just go back to normal life. Does anybody else get to Christmas and feel that way? Like, oh, now it's over. You feel that way? You want those presents to come, but you want the songs and the Christmas trees. Or maybe it's like Christmas is a hard day because it's lonely or it's a reminder of the family that's no longer here or leaving Christmas is like now I have to pay those bills off. Now I have to go into a new year and into the... Here in Wisconsin, we really go into the bleak midwinter after Christmas Day. And so Christmas is like this. This can be this letdown where we have to recover after that. So what I want to show you today is how how God invites us to address that letdown at Christmas. We get to Christmas and go, okay, it's going to be awesome. And then maybe there are fights with family. Maybe the presents aren't as good as we had hoped or those memories come back. And So Christmas gets to be a letdown. I want to show you from Luke chapter 2 today how the Bible addresses that Christmas letdown. Up until this point, we've been walking through the book of Luke, the, this, this account of the the birth of the king. But first, it's the, the birth of John the Baptist who's going before the king. And then the birth is prophesied to Mary. And then the, John the Baptist is born. And then we get to this story starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We're going to start in verse 1. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If your hands are full or you don't have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and follow along on the screen. 
Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season that fills us with warmth. We thank you for this reminder of the birth of the King, but we pray that today, as we lean into Christmas, that you will help us to see what it is you want us to see at Christmas, and that we leave the way you want us to leave the manger scene. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point in the story, it starts with a census that's going to be taken. David Helm points out that one of the themes of making a census was actually a king's way of saying, look at how great I am. Look at all the people that are underneath me. If, we look, if you look at some of the census earlier in the Bible, it actually points specifically to how great God is. Then in David's life, when he's king, God says, do not do this. But David wants to flex his muscles and show off. And so he calls for another census. And so a census is not, it is for the purpose of taxation. And it is for the purpose of finding out how many soldiers do I need in my kingdom. But Caesar Augustus was not just saying, hey, I want to see how I can tax my people or how I can raise up an army. He was also flexing at this point. So we get to the Christmas story. And Augustus, Caesar Augustus is saying, hey, let's see how great a king I am over the entire Roman world. And so the story says that Joseph, who lived in Nazareth in the north side of Israel, has to go down past Jerusalem into the southern part. About 90 miles, 92 miles away. They have to go on foot, although there are stories of camels and donkeys. The, the story is just that they get there. Take several days' walk. Mary is engaged to Joseph, and it says that they go up from Nazareth in Galilee down to Judea, just a few in Bethlehem, just a few miles away from Jerusalem, just a few miles away from the capital city of Judea. And it says that he went there to, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While the time came for, for the baby to be born, so the baby is born, she wraps him in swaddling clothes, which is the kind of common thing that you would wrap a baby in. He's just a baby like all of the other ones. They wrap him in swaddling clothes to keep them warm. And it says there was no guest room available for them. So here we have this Christmas scene that we're familiar with. Year after year, we come to the nativity scene. We come here, and then we leave the Christmas scene. December 25th, December 26th, we go back home. But what I want to show you here is in, in the rest of this story, I want to show you this call in the story for us to lean in at Christmas and leave differently. We get to the manger scene. There's just a lot of bare facts. But now the story is going to shift and the invitation to us is lean in and expect to leave the Christmas scene differently. Verse 8, 8 through 16 says that, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This was normal. It doesn't mean that it's not the winter because in the region of Bethlehem, they would actually keep the sheep that were used in the temple for sacrifices. And so they stayed out in the field year-round. 
So we actually don't know whether it was December 25th or the spring or the summer. This is just what's normal. These are the sheep that are kept for the temple. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be terrified. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. What we learn from the shepherds here is lean in and hear God's version of the story. You see, at this point, there was a baby born in a stable, and if anybody had walked by, they would have said, what a poor family. What a poor situation. But this story piles up with words like the word of, and he heard, and they told, and the 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 point of this section of the story is lean in and hear God's version of the story because if the angel had not come with a message from God saying, look, this is what this baby means, the shepherds would have been in the dark their whole lives. We would be left in the dark our whole lives if we were just presented with a picture of a woman with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the call here is lean in and hear God's version of the story. What does God's version of the story sound like? First, it sounds like what the angels say here. They say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Up until this point in the story of the Bible, every time all people is used, it only means the people of Israel. By the end of the book of Luke, all people means all people all over the world. And so this is a pivotal moment in the story of the Bible when God says, I have good news, not just for Jews, but for everybody. I have good news for you and for you and for you. I have good news for all people. God's version of the Christmas story is not just good news for the select few, but this is good news for everybody, the rich and the poor, the outcast, the women, the people that everybody looks down on. And so we find as we go through the book of Luke, this special concern for everybody in the, in the, in the story. And so this is a pivotal moment that when we lean in and hear God's story, we hear God's great concern and God's great love for all the people. But not only is it a message about all the people, he says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's piling up titles here. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Savior is a Greek term for here is the king. I'm sending a king to you. Messiah is the expectation the Jews had for their own personal deliverer, their own personal Christ. Then the the strange title the angels throw into the mix is, It's not just a Messiah that God's been promising. It's actually God Himself. And so He says, you you guys know, you guys came to this city because Caesar Augustus wanted to flex his muscle. But in this barn, at this moment, a new king has been born, the Messiah God promised, and it's God Himself. And so lean in and hear God's story as He piles up these terms. Because without words, then Christmas is not a miracle. It's just a baby born somewhere. We don't know anything about it So our Christmases need to be defined by God's words. Listening at Christmas, leaning in and saying, God, what is your message? It's a message for all the people. All the people on my block, including the ones that seem hard-hearted and far from God. 
All people means all of my family, even the ones that want nothing to do with the Jesus that I love. All people means all people. And it means that God has come as king at this time. We need these words to help us understand. There's an artist, a visual artist in New York City named Makoto Fujimara. And he, he works in visual art, but when he explains how Christians need to do art, one of the things he says is Christians should do art and do it well. But then they need to explain what they're doing. Because we live in a world that no longer has a common language around what things mean. And so at different points in history, you might be able to paint a painting and trust that everybody is going to understand that this bowl of fruit means this and that, that this figurine standing this way means this. But he said, in this world, at this time, we need words or else we will misunderstand. And the Christmas story tells us exactly what it means. We live in a world that misunderstands so much of God's story. And if all they ever see is pictures of the nativities, they will not understand. If all we ever see is pictures of the nativity, we will not understand. But the good news is God has given us these words to say, look, it's good news for everybody. A king has come. God himself has come. And so the call is, will we let God's words define and interpret Christmas for us this year? It might not, in your life, it might not feel like God is king because things have gone haywire this year. There might be anxieties and worries and fears and despair and depression that are piling up and you go, I don't know what to do with these things. The call at Christmas is to listen to what God says about those things. That God has come as King and He is remaking and will renew all things. Will we lean in and hear God's story at Christmas? Then the second way that we lean into Christmas and leave differently is we this call to lean in and marvel. Lean in and leave marveling. Verse 17 says, when they, shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And, or treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Here we, the, the second invitation is to lean in at Christmas and leave marveling. Don't just let it slide past. You see, the shepherds went to see what God had told them, and then they had seen what had happened and said, we have got to go and tell. The shepherds leaned in, marveling at what God had done, and left telling. Then the people heard what the shepherds told them, and then they marveled, and then Mary treasured those things, pondering them in her heart, marveling at the things that God had done. And so at Christmas, we are called to marvel, to lean into it and go, oh, this is a story I could never make up that's better than I could have ever imagined. The call is, can we lean in and marvel? You see, that's one of the things that I think is often missing from the Christian life is in the Christian life, we spend so much time doing and accomplishing and strategizing and not enough time leaning in and marveling. What would evangelism look like if it was actually inspired by people that marveled, not people that felt a duty? What if people leaned into Christmas and said, I cannot believe God has come as king and left marveling, left speaking? What if discipleship started with people that said, look at what God has done. I cannot believe this is... What if parenting started with marveling? What if parenting wasn't, wasn't a duty a list of things to do and outcomes to make and a, a product to create. What if 
Parenting started with marveling at the God of the universe who delights in being a parent and delights in growing his family. Christmas is a call for us to lean in and marvel and leave marveling, not give up, like Mary, treasuring and pondering things deeply in our hearts. It it reminds me of the story in the Old Testament that Solomon's wealth and his wisdom became so famous that the queen of Ethiopia heard about it marveling and said, I've got to go and see that. What if that was the goal for you and I's lives? If we marveled and said, we will go on whatever journey it is to see more of this. What if if our goal in our church was to see the presence of God lived out in such a way that people said, ah, I need to go and see that. I need to go and hear that. I've never heard anything like this. I've never heard a good news like this before. I've got to go. Because that's what's happening here. The shepherds marveled, and then when other people heard, they came to marvel. You cannot control how others are going to react this Christmas. You're going to face some things in your family on the family Christmas that are not going to be perfect. They're going to be disappointing. Maybe you're going to face Christmas alone. You're going to go into the new year and see things that you don't want. We cannot control how others react, but we can control if we're going to marvel this Christmas. So will you lean in and leave Christmas marveling? Will you get to Christmas on the December 25th and say, I'm going to marvel more now than I did at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of this season? And then verse 20 tells us, lean into Christmas and return worshiping. Lean into Christmas and return worshiping. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. There it is, the shepherds returned. They had to go back to the sheep that they had left. They had to go back to the lives. The shepherds were the outcasts of society that nobody would ever depend on them for for testimony in a court of law because it was inadmissible. These guys are not trustworthy. So the the shepherds had to go back to that life. And I'm going to guess many of them died before, before Jesus was thrown. They had to go back to that life, but it says they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, I think that the Christ, Christmas season is supposed to be like a spiral. That each year as we come to it, we leave worshiping in a different way. And each year we come a little bit closer. It's not a circle where we just keep going around and around on the same tracks. Instead, we are like a spiral coming in at a different angle, a little bit closer each time as we come in. But the call is, will we leave in worship? Will we say, look, this is what God has done at Christmas? If I'm honest, this sermon is for me. Because most of the time I don't lean in to hear God's story. Instead, I'm writing my own. My whole life is filled with how can I get the things done that I want to do? How can I accomplish things and impress people and do things? I'm deaf to the story that God is telling. Honestly, this sermon is for me because so often I'm unwilling to marvel at what God has done. Instead, I look back at my own handiwork and I'm either in despair because it's not good enough or I puff out my chest because I'm like, look at what I've done. 
And honestly, more often than worshiping God at Christmas, I instead worship myself and my desires and try to raise myself up as my own kind of God. So where is the good news in a passage like this that says lean into Christmas and expect to leave differently? But honestly, I'm the same guy I've always been, listening to my own story, marveling at my own self, and worshiping my own self. Where is the good news in this story? The good news in this story is that the very Word of God The very Word of God came to earth, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died in our place. He is the one who inclined himself constantly to hearing from God and obeying God, but died under his silence. He is the one that the angels marveled at. But in his death, people shook their heads and laughed at him. He's the one that deserves all worship, and yet he died being mocked and ashamed in my place, doing all of the things that I should have to face. And so the good news of the gospel is that I can lean in and expect to leave differently because Jesus has taken my place in all of these things. So the call is, will you lean into Christmas? Will you go, hey, let, we've got two days left. Let's, let's live it up. Let's go all the way. Just like the shepherds do, marveling at what God has done and leaving worshiping. Expecting that next year when we get back here, we're invited to do the same thing all over again. Next year again, we'll be called, will you, will you hear this story? Will you marvel at this king? And will you return worshiping? Some of you go, Joe, how can I know for sure that I'm going to leave different from Christmas? That I'm going to leave differently from Christmas? How can I know for sure that I'm going to leave Christmas differently? Am I just going to try harder this year? Am I, am I just going to be a, a little better this year? Lots of New Year's resolutions will maybe make all of this better. No, the story of the Bible is the story that God made the world and He made it good. That He made the humans and He said they were very good. Look at them. My crowning achievement. The Bible said that God made us as His little kings and He would be the great king over us. But the story is that no, we rejected Him and said we will have nothing to do with you. We want our own kingdoms. We will live in our own way. Like Caesar Augustus, we will flex our muscle and say, look at me. The Bible says that God will one day judge his enemies because he cannot abide rival kings. But instead of leaving us that way, at this moment, with this baby, he comes living the life we should live, dying the death that we should die, and rising again. So that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ are now found welcome are now found not just as outsiders looking in, not people just hoping from the outside, but actually members of his family with all the rights and privileges of this baby. So if you have questions about that, if you're like, I want to leave Christmas different, this is the first way that we do that. This is the first step in that road of marveling and worshiping at Christmas is to say, I give up on my own kingdom and I will take Jesus. I will repent of sin and I will trust in Christ. If you have questions about that, come and grab me. Even while we sing, grab somebody that brought you and say, hey, I want to I leave Christmas differently. I don't want to be the same the way that I've always been. I actually want this king to be my king instead of my own king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you've invited us to lean in at Christmas and then leave differently. Leave marveling and leave worshiping. Leave with you as our Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to bless this Christmas season. May we we celebrate it more. And may the community on our blocks and in our towns also join us in marveling. 
Jesus' name.